All right. Thank you, guys. Welcome. I'm so glad you joined us. I see Jackie and Judy and Carol and Peggy and Nan and Don and Leslie and Ann. And I'm glad you guys came on with us. Um, it's it's really interesting whenever we're speaking about business because everybody's got their own opinions and everybody's got these wonderful ideas and we're all struggling to come back after the pandemic. So this is, I'm very excited about this webinar. We have about 160 people that have registered. I'm expecting 30 to 40 to show up, which is great. And we record. So you guys can share this with Whoever you want, you'll be getting an email from us tomorrow with the recording. So that's kind of nice to know. I'm Sarah Cooperman. I'm the CEO of SCW Fitness and Water in Motion and Seat. I've got these wonderful people with me today. I've got Bob Esquery. He's both nationally and internationally recognized as a business solutions consultant. He's a fitness educator. Oh, my God. He's done everything from group PT. PT, everything. He's known as the green thumb for successfully making money for his clients. And he's the CEO of the Square Fitness Group. He's also got a master's degree in business and economics. He's no dummy. So this is kind of cool. Thank you, Bob, for joining us. We've got Lisa Gorslin, who I read a fabulous article by Lisa, and I just fell in love with her. And I'm so excited she's here. She has over 35 years experience in the in the fitness industry, um, owning, uh, managing fitness facilities, being a director of the Corpus Christi Athletic Club. Um, she's been everything from marketing to sales, assistant general manager, just about everything. So Lisa is quite the expert. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us. And then we've got Dietrich Smith. He's the owner of Results Performance Training Studio. He's dedicated over two decades of experience to help trainers cultivate fulfilling, lucrative lifetime careers. He is a mentor and a consultant, which is really cool. So Dietrich, thank you for joining us. And then we've got Bill McBride, who we have to put up with, okay? <laughs> and Bill and I, were we've been on too many webinars and I seem to always be injured. So he is a health club veteran with over 25 years of experience. He's led all sorts of facilities from commercial, medical, residential, multi-tenant corporate. He's also the president and CEO and co-founder of Active Wellness. So we have these wonderful people joining us. This is your webinar. Do me a favor. You can move your mouse and go to the bottom of your screen and you will see the share screen button, that green button. Go to the left. It's the chat box. And we love to see the what's going on in the chat. Whatever questions you have, um, we want to know. And do me a favor. I would love to see your name and where you're from and what role you play in your facility. Owner, CEO, managers, directors, we love it. So please type that in. And look, there's Marisa Hoff and there's Lawrence Viscontini. And I see wonderful people. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, first question, I'm going to start with you, Lisa. What is the biggest shortcoming you see in clubs that leads to poor retention rate? Thank you, Sarah. I think it's poor onboarding. It is so important that we integrate the new members into our club right out of the gate. Um, as a matter of fact, Ursa did a study where 87% of members 
who experienced a positive onboarding process were remained active members after six months. Um, so I think it's really important to integrate that new member. Um, and another great thing to do with that new member is during the first month of their membership, offer them unlimited guest passes and let them build their own community because they're still afraid to come in and work out. They're still uncomfortable. So let them bring their friends so that they can all work out together and they feel more comfortable as a new member in your club. Oh, that's great. I love that idea. And, and that, that Ursa study where you said 87% of the people that were not onboarded properly quit within six months. Correct. We spend so much money trying to get people to join our facilities. We have to be able to retain them. Yeah. Um, and Bill, what are your thoughts on the biggest shortcomings from clubs that lead to poor retention? Yeah, I mean, the biggest shortcoming is not preparing your staff um, or possibly even taking it back a step further, not hiring the right people. Um, you know, Bob and I go way back in, in, in the business aspects of this stuff. And, you know, you have to enroll people into a lifestyle, not sell them a membership. A membership sale is a transaction and we don't want transactions. We want relationships. So you, you enroll the member into the lifestyle. You make sure your staff can present the programs that are applicable to the person. You have an onboarding program to feed them into the right systems and you monitor that. You know, Bob's a big person about metrics. Everybody he talks to, he's about measure it, you know, and we all agree, whatever you measure, you get more of. And so you've got to measure those outcomes. So I think it starts, and I harp on it all the time, you know, if you've got the wrong player, you know, on, on the team, um, it doesn't matter what the play is. Right. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Bob, you're nodding. Yes. I. Well, even though Bill and I go way back, I'm older than he is, but that's okay, though. <laughs> <laughs> But my, my biggest challenge I find, and I agree with Lisa and Bill, and I want to talk about the culture issue because, yes, folks are worried about coming in by themselves. But if the culture is there, that's that's embracing, inviting, they're going to come. So there's a club that I'm familiar with that has created this 12-point plan, which builds around the culture. Sense of community. Sounds familiar, Lisa, right? Yeah. Creating a safe place. Ah, Love the skin you're in, non-judgmental, camaraderie, peer group support slash peer group accountability. They start to help us help each other with the members, keeping them coming back and coming back and coming back, giving us more referrals. Looking at focusing on not the price, on the experience. I want to come there. I go to my house. That's one place. My office is my second place. My facility is my third place. I want to create that culture that's inviting. I'm looking about feeling good. Mutual respect is absolutely critical. Coaching support. That's a staff learning process. Empathy. Empathy is, is, is key. I want to feel comfortable, not harassed. I want to be able to have someone take me on a journey that understands what that journey should be for me. Not about Mary or Phil, but all about Bob. That's what I want. And if I get that, forget about the price. I'm coming in. Bring me in, baby. That's exactly what I want to do. And I kind of, I really like that. I like how Bill says you've got to 
hire the right person, but then you've also got to integrate that person into your facility's culture. Yes. So it's not just about onboarding, like Lisa said, onboarding our clients, our new clients. It's about also onboarding our staff correctly. Yes. And that's what you bring up, Bob, which is which is very important. And what I love about Dietrich is he may not share this with you. He got fully prepared. He's got notes. He's ready. To <laughs> well, I what I know about you like me. We got is... our pieces of paper. We're looking down. <laughs> okay, so if, if, if what are the shortcomings about... you see, Dietrich? Well, um, they covered a lot of them, but things I'll add or just kind of add a little bit more on just um, you know, bad customer service, um, not training your staff, your front desk staff. You go into a lot of clubs nowadays and somebody's on their phone or their um their heads down they don't even say hello that's not a place that a potential member or client wants to come to or uh stay if they come back and they don't feel like anybody wants them there and another thing i'll say i mean i'm coming from a small studio standpoint versus a big club is um sometimes your marketing can attract the wrong person you only have so many marketing dollars to go around and um like we've noticed over the years, um, most of our clients are over 50 and we're going to do our marketing towards those people because we know those are people that are going to want to come and stay at our facility versus wasting marketing dollars and potentially wasting, even though we all think we're the best <laughs> for everybody. A lot of times we have to realize that there is a, t a person that you are going to work with better than um, other places there. So um, marketing to the right person, uh, great customer service you want, uh, lack of accountability, lack of expectations from the start. A lot of those things have always already been touched on by everybody else. So, Yeah, but that's very, it's very important. What I found interesting is sometimes we start our facilities out thinking we're going after millennials or we're going after a certain demographic. And it just kind of opens up that you end up with these clients because maybe logistics of the facility maybe economics of what's going on in the environment. Did you set out Dietrich to be more of an active aging community or did this just evolve with your facility? I did not set out to be an active aging um, community. So we've been around for over 10 years. And really when we first came to our, um, in Williamsburg where I'm located at, over 10 years ago, some studios, maybe some CrossFit places, no Orange Theories, no Burns, no franchise places. So in a way, I kind of got lucky. I was targeting everybody. I didn't know what I was doing. And then when those places opened up, I realized when those places opened up and then throwing COVID on top of it later, you realize these are the people that are staying with us. And then you get feedback from them and you realize that, okay, they like the they say that we're the best at individual attention. We say that we're the, you know, the best. They like the accountability. They like being around people like them. They like the extra attention. And they, they're telling us what we're good at because when we get into business, we all think we're great at everything, of course. And that's probably not the case there uh, from their standpoint. So, Dietrich, right. can I ask you a question? Just yes. go ahead, Bill. You know, Bob was talking about it's about Bob, it's about Bob, it's about Bob. One thing about you that I've known is you make whoever you're with feel very present, that you're very present right. and attentive to. Like you make me feel good whenever I've been with you, right? And I know you do that with your clients. You make the client the star of the show. You know, can you tell a little bit about how you how you identify other people and how you execute on that? Because I know that's who you who you are and what you do. Okay, you're talking. Oh, okay, as far as me, I, I know you're. How do you make? How do you make? How do you make the client the star, 
And how, how do you replicate your own personality with your staff for that culture? Like how, how do you yeah, do that? You're known, you're known for that. Yeah. I mean, it's really all, it's all about the, um, all about the members from the, from the consultation, from the get go, the admin team is trained to, uh, is, is trained to ask them the right questions. Um, you get the consultation, you train the staff that, um, when they're in the sessions, they know everything about their extra previous exercise history, their injury history. We might tell them certain things because we do we do group one on one and semi private. And, you know, I won't say it's easy to do in a one on one and semi private, but it's all focused on the group where we make sure there's something that those trainers know about the they know about that client coming in that's unique about them. So. Um, hey, um, no, Susan, they mentioned their shoulder issue. They mentioned these things in the group setting. So they know it's different from going to like a big box um, chain franchise type of group class in a way there. Right. Yeah. And it's great to collect that information and then making sure that it's passed on from that onboarding onto the actual activity, um, which is key. And how do we increase client retention and satisfaction at a club that may not share your same standard? We started talking about that just a little bit. Um, and Bob, you started talking about making sure that there was a connection with the individual instructor and between instructors and between trainers as well. Exactly. So I'm glad you asked me to clarify because when I said previously about all about Bob, Bob became the, the go-to person. I wasn't the GM, I wasn't the owner, but I was the guy that got the stuff done. So if they had a question or an issue, they wouldn't go to their salesperson who they didn't like. They wouldn't go to the owner who they hated. What, what should I do next? They're not my client, but they see me in the facility because they feel they can talk to me. So we have the conversation, I'm the gatekeeper. Well, why don't you try this yoga class well, this Pilates class, we have silver sneakers. We have that. I teach spinning, come to my class. And here's some of the funny things about it, because I team teach spinning with my wife, JoLynn. So there are people who would take her class, but they wouldn't take my class and vice versa. But when we teach together, both of those populations come together because they want that magnetism between a husband and wife who are both totally different. That's part of the experience. So the focus is, I create the standard, which is higher than the club, but as the gatekeeper, I start sending the folks to the right group exercise instructor that's consistent with their needs, the correct spinning instructor, the correct personal trainer. So then their response is, how'd you make out? They come back to me, not to the owner, not to the GM, and we have a conversation. Well, let's try this next. But then they may be afraid to go to a class. So either myself or JoLynn would take them to that class. And we'd be in there together. It's all part of building that relationship, basically. So the gatekeeper role is critical when the standard is so low that our standards, which are higher, we have to take over. And we, right. we may and have some friction, but that's okay. Yeah, Lisa, you you were talking about what you did at the corp, uh, Corporate Christie Athletic Club. Before we turn the camera on, too. Um, it's it's you have a wonderful onboarding process that you started with hiring client hiring employees that actually helped people on board and connected them with groups. Can you 
I really would love to know how did you find these people and hire them? How did you pay them? And how did this process really work? Sure, sure. Um, it's really neat what this, it's a coach program and the coach is the, the person between the, when the, the sale is made and the time that they meet with the personal trainer, the coach is not a personal trainer. They're not a group X instructor. They are normal people. Um, one of my coaches was about 60 pounds overweight and she went along the journey with the new members and lost weight with them. So what happened as soon as the sale was made, um, they would set up an appointment with a coach and the coach would sit down and talk to them, you know, about their family, about their dog, about because they had time to do this. A personal trainer doesn't always have time to do that. So this person would become their friend. And I can tell you, Sarah, at Christmas, the, I mean, the coaches' offices were just filled with gifts because everybody loves the coaches. And it's kind of like what Bob was saying earlier, everybody goes to the coaches because they know that the coaches are their friends and that they're normal human beings. So once the coaches got all the information about the new members' needs and what they want to work on, and, you know, even some of their challenges, the coach would already let pass that information to the personal trainer. So when the new member met with the personal trainer for the first time, it was like they already knew this new member. And it just put a smile on that new member's face. And, and we've got over 10,000 members so it is really easy to get lost in the system. And I feel like putting the coach program into the system, it really helped to integrate that new member. That's really interesting because I listened to this. First of all, you say that Group X and PTP, PT people are not normal. Well, I'll raise my hand to that. <laughs> and then, yeah, thank you for that, Lisa. You'll be on another webinar. And then the other thing you said that was interesting that really triggered something with me is through the pandemic, one of the biggest things that arose is lifestyle coaching. And what you did before that was quote unquote in vogue is these people are lifestyle coaches that you're hiring. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and did you have a job, a specific job description you used? Or did you have, you know, how did you hire these people? I want someone who's nice and empathetic. You know, it, it, it seems like it's rather simple. It, it is and it isn't, Sarah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you want somebody, I shouldn't use the word normal, but you want somebody that that new member can relate to. A new member doesn't want to hear tricep, you know, tricep, bicep, you know, they want to hear, okay, here's my flabby arm chicken wings. How are you going to help me with that? So we, we tried to hire people that ha had no training in the fitness field. And we hired people that could listen, people that were genuine, people that felt it from their heart. 
they weren't fake. They loved people. And if you get that type of person in there, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. That's really interesting. And the training for that, you know, the onboarding of the life coach is really interesting because because you've got to make sure they understand the entire facility to really kind of place this person with the right trainer or with the right right program. Bill, what do you guys do at Active Wellness um, for an onboarding process? Because you mentioned before we turn the camera, you've got multiple um, avenues that you use. I mean, our, our normal things like most every health club in the world, right? We offer two sessions when they join. Um, but in those sessions, it's very, very targeted with regard to the person's needs. We have a system and a format we follow, but each, each conversation is different, right? Based on the person. Um, we use InBody as one of our, our uh, main assessment or body composition slash tools. But I mean, Seika or VF, whatever you use, right? There's a lot of good product out there on, on assisting the onboarding process. Um, but for us, it starts with, you know, what's the expectations for the member, um, how do we train the staff to deliver on that? And how do we get them launched the, the right way? And, and Lisa brought up the URSA research. There's a lot of other research out there from URSA in years past that if you got somebody to use the club five times within the first month, you had a much higher uh, amount of retention. Um, you know, I always look at the first 30 days as the part where you're trying to teach them where the locker rooms are. You're trying to get them comfortable with showing them around. Um, you know, that part of that whole retention aspect of that onboarding process is not even the fitness stuff. How do I use your locker? How do I check in? How do I sign up for a class? How do I use your mobile app? If I don't have confidence in those things, and you know, I don't have confidence in how to use your equipment, um, you know, so you got to take them way back to the beginning. And that's why I like when you guys use normal and not normal, you know, people that are migrate to the fitness industry typically are not normal. They're part of the top 10% of the people in the world that love exercise. Most people, including myself, don't just love exercise. I, I feel really good after cardio. I have to really get myself motivated to do weights. Um, I'm not that fitness enthusiast that just lives the lifestyle of exercising five times a week and just can't get enough. And, you know, that's not me. Exercise sounds hard. Sounds like work. Training sounds hard. Sounds like work. I'm a guy that likes to play. If you know me, you know, I like to play. You know, I like to play and have a good time, you know, and so um, you have to teach people to that other point, your staff, that they're not talking exercise physiology clinical. They're throwing in some words about certain things to show their credibility, but they're talking in layman's terms to the individual to get them started. And you're looking at confidence building on every step of the process. Um, I've been in the business, you know, I say over 25 years, that could be over 35 years, could be over 45, 40 years, you know, I'm not going to tell you, but i uh, been over 25 years for the last 10 at least. So um, I'm very comfortable in a selectorized area, cardio area, and steam room and sauna. I'm not comfortable in a Zumba class, and I'm not comfortable in the, in the free weight rack area, doing squats and lifting, you know, deadlifts. That's not me. I'm not comfortable in that. I don't have confidence in those areas. And I've been in the business a long time. And so if that's me, think about a normal consumer and, and we don't know their confidence level. And that's why I got really triggered when you were talking about the, the demographics. I think the demographics, we got to be careful of. You can have a 70-year-old active person that's in great shape and you can have a 35-year-old that's in very poor condition. And I think we got to change the, the level of what we look at and look at where people are in a continuum of, of mobility, 
physical fitness versus age or sex or ethnicity or demographic or economic or whatever. Like, you know, I could be training a 40 year old and a six year old and they could be on evil, even level of fitness. And so I think we got to be careful on how we group people as well. And I know I threw a lot out there, so I'll back off. (laughs) No, it's wonderful stuff Um, because we have to look at, you know, our, I love how we just call it a club. It's a health club. It's a club. And it's something you, hopefully you make it a club that everybody wants to belong to. Um, How can I tailor my client programming to be more results driven and personalized? And I'm going to hit you up, Dietrich, um, because you do have a wonderful, very successful boutique type uh, facility. I always say, you know, in order to get results, your clients have to stay long enough in order to get results. So kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, um, you have to make the sessions fun. Um, And they're not going to, you know, they're not like us. And even some of us don't like all of the workouts, but you have to make make it fun, have that sense of community, um, find that intensity sweet spot for them, meaning um, some places there's a little too much too soon. And on the other end of the spectrum, people want to come in and feel like, they've worked. So more, it's not just the sets, reps and rest periods and exercise selection per se, but those big categories of um, having enough variety too. people don't want to come in and do the same kind of boring workout. A lot of us trainers might like certain workouts that members are going to hate, or it's just going to be so boring, you know? Um, Yeah. And a lot of trainers might think, oh, this is the best way to get results. This is what I learned in my textbook here or this certification but it doesn't in the real world in the real real world that might not work with members that are coming in that have not um they don't care about our exercise physiology terms Uh, they don't know what a hamstring is after three years of training them and they they really don't care (laughs) they just want you to uh get in shape they want fitness to be a, a part of their lifestyle so building a sense of community and then um, getting feedback from having the time to get feedback from them and then actually listening to it and adding those things into their program. So you can have those core lifts and those core exercises there. We all might see those things a little bit different, but they can have some fun within the program. And the last thing is getting clear on the results that they're trying to achieve. It's not just about what we want for them because they're they're telling us from the time we get in the consultation and if you don't listen to that they're going to be leaving your studio they're going to be leaving your gym so it's not just about bench pressing another 20 pounds or losing 20 pounds it's going to be you know just listening to what their goals are maybe it's to be able to go on a vacation and book that vacation and be able to enjoy it so um and just tracking those things over time with them, staying in touch with them to see if um, to show them that they're getting those results, too, because you'll even have members that will come in that want to lose. Maybe that they say they want to lose those 20 or 30 pounds and they want to do those things. But um, if you just continue to make them aware of the progress that they've been making and as far as the little things that they're able to do, um, the, those are the results that people that most people want to see from my experience. Dietrich, what's the name of your company? It's called Results. Yeah, there's a lot of very successful um, trainers out there. And then when you get somebody new on board, do you have them shadow the more successful trainers? Do you have um, 
do you have some type of onboarding um, program for the trainers that you hire, the new ones? Yeah, so we always, um, they shadow and they spend some time with me and the other trainers to kind of make sure they're in within our culture um, there. So yeah, so they have an onboarding process for the trainers there. That's great. Uh, Bill, you were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to ask Dietrich to say the name of his company. Yeah, so my company is Results Performance Training in Williamsburg, and then that's the, uh, and then the Dietrich just, is my um, kind of the consulting site. Yeah, no, the results though. I was, I was, I was picking on the results because that's what you're all about, and, uh, mm-hmm. and that last thing it was awesome. Um, another thing that Dietrich made me think about is when you about exercise physiology terminology. Don't use acronyms in your club in front of members and guests. A lot mm-hmm. of us have acronyms that we use for things. Like we had this thing called a, a GS kit which was a getting started kit, which, mm-hmm. and, but members don't know what a GS kit is. And so be careful about your internal acronyms with, with your, with your members and clients. Yes, definitely. Um, and Bob, um, what do you, you know, you're kind of the king of programming here. Um, what type of programming can, do you recommend like for results driven and personalization, things like that? How do you, get people to go into the right program. Okay. The biggest issue from, for me is to put on my, yes, I'm an instructor. I'm a trainer. I'm a director. I'm a manager. When I interact with members in a club, I have my customer shirt on. I have my customer mindset on. So my issue is what's a sweet spot for me? What do I care about? So that when I speak to someone, we're talking not as a director or an instructor or a trainer, we're just having a good old conversation. What are your goals? What are your objectives? They see me all the time. They may not be my student. They may not be my client, but we're in the same community. So when I work with them and talk to them from a community standpoint, there's no barriers. So their issue is, what do you think I should do, Bob? So what are your goals? What are your objectives? We've said that. And if they want to go a specific class for specific outcomes, I'll recommend that, but before they walk in there, I will talk to the instructor first. I will make the introduction so that there's a camaraderie before they walk into the door. And then when the instructor says, oh, Bob sent you, right? And then that instructor, because we're in the same mindset, will say, everyone, stop what you're doing. This is Mary. She's coming to join us today. Be nice to Mary or you'll hear from me. So we laugh about it. We have fun about it. Mary's blushing and she's ready to have a blast. So again, what's her sweet spot? Because I'm a customer, what's my sweet spot? And all of a sudden the barriers start to break down. I'm not her instructor. I'm not her trainer. I'm just a member of her community. Sense of community is so important that that's going to make or break the relationship. And Lisa, um, what type of programming tended to work? Or I know you had the coaches that directed people to the right place. You also had stated that sometimes your coaches actually go with your clients. So, you know, I know you've got 10,000 members, but I do wonder how many coaches you have on staff and what other type of programming alternatives you supplied. Okay. Um, yes. And we not only, the coaches not only went to the classes and introduced them to other members, but he or she got a group, like if they had four new members that were all interested in spinning classes. Then they knew which spinning instructor to take them to. 
and all four of them with the coach did the class and they agreed at the beginning, hey, we're only gonna do 10 or 15 minutes of this. And they all got up and left together. Um, and something else that my coaches, Sarah, and all, all the employees, Bill touched on it a little bit. He likes to play, he likes to have fun. So we, with all of your programs, with all of your events, with all of your classes, there's two things that you have to remember. You have to remember to base it around how are we going to have fun? And the second is strike up a communication between the member and the employee or the employee and the member. So we design everything. For example, Sarah, we have a, I went down to Home Depot and spent $40 on a brick panel wall. And we nailed the, the paneled wall up on, the, on, a, 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 on a very um, public area of our club. And it was one we did New Year's resolution. And each one wrote in a brick what their New Year's resolution. Why am I working out? Why, um, what did I miss during COVID? So, and we just kept switching the brick walls out. And what it did was when a member stand in there writing something, another member or employee notices it. And what does it do? It strums up a communication. We also have bring a book, take a book. And that bookshelf, it was only two tiers and I had to go and buy more because it was growing. And what happened was somebody would bring a book and a member would be sitting there on the couch and say, oh, do you like that author? Oh, what was that book about? And again, they were strung, you know, getting a communication going simple things during Groundhog Day. Um, we hid groundhog, little paper groundhogs around the club. And if you found a groundhog, you brought it to the front desk and we had like a big basket of gifts and they got to pick a gift. Um, and, and a puzzle, we have a puzzle of the week. You put a puzzle out in the lobby and you will not believe how many people, and we allow employees too, to interact and to engage and sit there and put together the puzzle. But I, I think we have to start thinking outside the box because mental health right now is so important. And we have to bring in more than just working out in our club. We have to bring in fun, relaxing, social. It's okay to not be okay. Sit down and color with me. Um, just things like that. We bought a popcorn machine and we give away popcorn once a week. Well, I can tell you Gold's Gym down the road doesn't do that. So, you know, anything that can set you aside and make it more fun, I just think is the key nowadays. And those are incredibly creative ideas. And what I really like about it is it's also not expensive ideas. No, not at all. Anybody can do this. Mm -hmm. and, and that's very interesting. And it is out of the box. And, mm -hmm. and it's not about, oh, here's a new fitness class. Here's a new, 
you know, weight loss machine, et cetera. Um, do you use technology? Because I think Bill, you mentioned in body and you mentioned, you know, uh, let's say body fat testing and, and different things that are available. Um, did you find that that helps with the retention or is it one of those, you don't never want, you never really kind of want to say, is it a gimmick that at least pulls them in and then hopefully you keep them? Yeah. I mean, I, I would think um, if I want to talk about technology that helps with retention, I would, I would lean more towards, um, we use gym cells for our CRM. Um, we use MXM. Medallion. Oh, there goes an acronym. There goes an acronym. Yeah. I'm, talking, I'm, talking, I'm, talking, I'm talking back of the house, not front of the house. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so we, we use Medallia for member experience. We use gym cells for CRM. Um, we use, um, we use Perkville for point rewards. Um, and so, you know, in body, um, you know, it's not a gimmick. It, it's a valuable assessment tool and a conversation starter, right? It, it, it's, it helps with the conversation guidance. Um, and then there's, there's another aspect that, that, um, sometimes we, we, um, we don't really think too much about, but, um, it's, it's the whole, the whole technology of how you, um, you know, communicate with your members, you know, email, text, phone calls, personalization that's relevant. If How many times can you email somebody in a month? People give different answers. You can email me 30 times in a month if every one of them is relevant to me and I care about it. Um, if, if, if you're not relevant to me, don't email me once, right? So, so, you know, we tend to not email more than once a week as a general rule, but email frequency depends on email relevancy to that particular client. And so, you know, there's no hard, fast rules on some of these things. If you really know your client and your member, you know, you, you, you can, you know, you have to really data mine and be very on top of that. And, um, and I don't think you can automate all that chat box are great for certain things. You know, technology is great for things that are routine that, any, that, that are thoughtless, that can be done over and over again. Um, technology breaks down when you're trying to use it um, with regard to personalization and customization at times. And people throw around AI all the time, artificial intelligence all the time. There's not a whole lot of AI going on in our industry. There's a little bit of machine learning, okay, which is a whole different thing, okay? And a lot of people confuse machine learning with AI. And so, you know, really understanding your tech stack. And I'm agnostic about tech stacks. Like, we look for the best technology for the purpose we're trying to serve, and we try to put it together. And sometimes you'll have a member management software service that won't want to put it together. They won't let you in with their API. They give you limited access. And so that's a big thing for our industry to, to open up to still. We've made a long way progress, but we have a long way to go on open, open communication between databases and, and companies so that we can own our own data and leverage that. Um, I love so. that you brought up that you brought up the details of technology and communication. Um, we've encountered a lot of problems with chatbots because people get frustrated if you're not right there, if you don't have you know, the right response, and it's a human response. Um, we've actually limited the time. We actually say we'll be here nine to five and we'll answer you via email if it's outside of that time, which is interesting. Um, and I also like that, well, one of the things I found is I'm always proselytizing, I guess I should say about text messaging, how valuable that is. 90% of people open their text messages. But have you noticed that you can now report it, delete it as junk in your text messages? And actually, Florida passed a law that you can't even text message without um, 
the, the client first giving permission. So people are getting fined. And this is kind of scary because other states may follow suit. So the communication and how that really is relevant for retention referrals and results, you know, we've got to look at that. Bill, I really like that you brought that up. Just one, one, one other point in the texting, Sarah, just when you're interviewing somebody to hire, you need to make sure you, you communicate with them via email, you communicate with them on the phone, and you communicate with them on text to see their communication skills. Because you have to train your staff on how to not be too informal, especially our younger staff, not to be ageist in any way, but we have to teach them you're not so informal, depending on your brand and your standards, but you've got to be very clear that the messaging that your staff is doing on individual text versus system text is up to your brand standards and you're comfortable with that. So you have to set some of those parameters. Yeah, again, we're, we're backing up into onboarding, not just of the clients, but of our staff. So what's the best way not only to obtain referrals, but to leverage them into retained clients, clients that we keep? So this is referrals. Uh, Dietrich, what do you think? All right. Well, first off, you have to be good at your craft so that they actually want to refer refer you. You know, you're a good trainer. Um, your your club, your studio is has great customer service. But you want to have your systems in place. You have to actually ask for the referral and get creative by not doing it the same exact way every single time. So it might be, you know, making it easy for them to refer. So it might be things like having bring a friend nights or weeks, having passes that they can. Um, having passes up front that they can give to their, um, you know, to their friends, having content type stuff that they can give to that has it um, on there, but it's not, you know, maybe as direct. So you're not asking them the same exact way every single time for a referral. Um, just making it, writing it on the announcement board, having your trainers go over it before the group sessions and the sessions, making things on social media that's easy for them to share, maybe having contests that, um, you know, if so many people, if they share this, they get entered to win um, whatever that you have there. So um, and some of the simple stuff, too. I mean, just re rewards are great. But a lot of times some people don't really need that. Um, the necessarily rewards a simple thank you and being able to acknowledge that you appreciate what they um, that, you know, that they're sharing with their family and friends and trying to get them in. And just I tell our trainers, too, that um, bring it up in a non-pressure type of way because follow-up is key with everything. It's follow-up with getting referrals, too. So a lot of times they'll say, oh, you know, my, my friend's going to come next week for Bring a Friend Week, and they don't show up. Um, you have to kind of follow up on that, too, because that's a real easy way just to, to get those members in, you know. Um, yeah, follow-up. And I think those are kind of the main things in order to – get um to get referrals switching up how you ask and making sure you ask and do you have a system for referrals lisa yes we do and and, and i love that dietrich what you said i think one size doesn't fit all so what we did we went out to the community and we talked to um, some local museums uh, a lot of restaurants um, and then we have some in-house items and we have about 10 choices all the time. And they're called our community members. And anybody that gives us, for example, a restaurant will say, you can be our community member, but we need 
10 $100 gift certificates. And here's how we're going to do it. And then we have a, a, a thank you banner that has their logo on it. So it's a win-win for both of us. And it's great for the member because, or the new member or the referring member, I'm sorry, because they get a choice um, because they're, sometimes people aren't going to refer if it's not what they personally like. So if you just constantly give out a one hour massage as a gift um, or three free personal trainings as a gift, that, that doesn't really market to everybody. So I would suggest that you, you know, get a lot of variety going. Mm -hmm. That's a great and don't and, and don't forget about the new member too. You always want to thank the new member somehow, whether it's 30 days around the club, or I, I know everybody does something different, but you know, you want to thank the new member for coming in and, and joining your club as well. That's great. And um, Bob, last but not least, um, how do we get these referrals? Okay, it's it goes back to what Bill said early on. It's staff training. I've been fighting the certifying agencies, let's say for about 30 years now. It's great that they teach the science. They don't teach interpersonal skills. They don't teach emotional intelligence at all. If we were to have our staff trained with, with EI, emotional intelligence, every question about retention disappears because we're trained how to build a relationship. It isn't about the money. It isn't about we as owners or managers or instructors. It's about taking that person coming in and giving them a journey that's specific and unique to them. If they get what they want, guess what? They want to share that with their friends and family. And they'll be chasing me. Why don't you ask me if I can bring a friend or bring my daughter or bring my husband? It's, we want them all. But unless we have that ability to embrace and invite them into our universe with empathy and be able to say, we understand exactly where you're coming from. It's my biggest success, I'm an active ager. And they sit down with me. And the first question is, how old are you? And then all of a sudden, everything disappears. It's like, let's have a conversation. Let's have some coffee. And it's like, forget the price. How can I get my experience that's going to be embracing and unique to me? Emotional intelligence solves that problem. We may have the greatest technology and the greatest science background, but if we can't talk to people, shake their hand and say hi or feel for them when they're hurting, what's it all about at the end of the day? Yeah. What's it all about? All right, guys, this is what it's about. We have a DC convention coming up uh, February 24th through 26th in Washington, DC. Bill's one of our presenters. 20 theses, 130 sections. What's really great about this convention is we also have the Health and Fitness Business Summit going on for owners, managers, and directors. So I, I want to thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Dietrich, Lisa, and Bill. Thank you, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank, thank you all you. for joining us. Everybody have a great night. Retain. Thank you, gang. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you. All right. Thank you.